Uh, I mean, we have some intellectuals in this room, I can tell. I can tell. So here's one for you guys. So the masochist came up to the sadist and said, beat me, beat me. And the sadist said, no. <laughs> this, is, this is not from the preaching class. No, and, the, and you know, I, I, um, I post these sermons so I can, I can decide, you know, add effects to that, applause and all that. It's going to be great. So we are in James 1, as you may recall from last time. John's message last week was on what is true wisdom, what is this foolish wisdom, um, God's wisdom manifests to us in which he asks us to partake in a wisdom that to our natural mind is the most ridiculous thing, uh, the cross, as John was talking about, and now to us is everything. James is a very interesting book uh, for many reasons, but in the context of this wisdom, I think it's a very interesting book indeed, and uh, been very blessed to look through it in context of wisdom. Thinking about James as a book, um, I was thinking about the point-by-point revelations on how to, uh, he provides us on how to live um, in this new natural. Um, there are comparisons to Jesus' Sermon on the Mount. I would encourage you, if you are so inclined, to explore Matthew chapter 5, 6, and 7. Side note, uh, extra- extracurricular. Um, and it's also very proverbial, or like Proverbs as well. James is very, uh, he exhorts us to living um, that, he makes distinctions between the wise man and the foolish. Articulating wisdom-driven responses on how to navigate life as a son and daughter of God. Um, James 1 is, I feel, a summation of this general heart of wisdom as expressed in the book as a whole, as it unfolds. So you have uh, within James discussions on wisdom itself, our speech, uh, deeds, trials themselves. Um, So the big picture in James 1 is, I feel the the general synopsis of all of that, just kind of the umbrella. So this is just kind of placing us in the world that we're trying to come into for this discussion in the context of testing, James opens up with this word, be joyful. And I was thinking for myself and for us, the context of this book as it applies to the 12 tribes. It talks about the 12 tribes. Uh, also applying to me and what's the connection there. And the joy is curious. James tells me to be joyful, and I think it's odd enough to be worth investigating. To ask the question why, and I think it was um, the same wisdom, counter-wisdom that Jesus walked in when he was on this earth. And so I want to pay attention to that. I want to look at, in light of that joy uh, and this wisdom, James 1. So I want to ask three questions, if you're taking notes. The AR, question one, why does God test us? What is the reward of testing? And what is the call of wisdom in response to testing? Why does God test us? What is the reward? What is the call of the response? So James 1, 2 to 5. 
Consider it pure joy, my brothers, whenever you face trials of many kinds, because you know that the testing of your faith develops perseverance. Perseverance must finish its work so that you may be mature and complete and not lacking anything. If any of you lacks wisdom, I'll, just, I'll read one more. Uh, if any of you lacks wisdom, he should ask God who gives generously to all without finding fault and it will be given to him. But when he asks, he must believe and not doubt because he who doubts is like a wave of the sea blown and tossed by the wind. So uh, players in this are testing, trials of many kinds, faith itself, you and God, perseverance, and work. And I want to try to define all those as we go along and kind of come at this very much just pulling from the text what James is trying to convey to us. So I want to start talking about testing versus trial. Testing and trial may seem to be interchangeable. I feel that in the Christian context, testing is the overarching means by which God proves to us his worth, the the worth of the gospel, the worth of his love, the worth of his relationship with him. Underneath that are is is life. Everything that happens that you get to experience the joy of of that. <laughs> um, the context for the testing is in context of my faith. My faith, when when uh, when I uh, when I was handed the keys to the car. I didn't know what I was getting into. And the road of life, so to speak, if you can follow this cheesy analogy, it's kind of like you don't, you're, you're given the keys to the kingdom. You're given the keys to this car. You're entering into this, this road, and you don't know where it's going. But as you progress and as you gain experience in being able to drive that thing and the wisdom involved and all that, you start to, you start to realize what you have. So it's much like... The same thing with our in, in testing in our faith. We climb into faith and we sit in this wisdom and you don't know what you have. You have the fullness in Christ, but you don't really know what that means. And, and so what he does is he proves through testing and trials his worth. He proves his love to us. Distinguishing this from our faith is important because God does not need to prove his worth to himself, but because... The gospel is surrender-based. He does this thing where he proves it to you, and you get to experience the reality of that truth. And that can be painful. But again, the joy. So just hold, keep that in mind. Why, why the joy? Um, so answer to our first question, we're starting to get it, is uh, why does God test us? He tests us to prove the worth of his gospel as exemplified to us through Jesus. And why is this essential? The worth of my faith is essential to have encountered as true through trial because when it gets hard, that will keep me anchored. So trial and testing proves God's trustworthiness and that develops perseverance. Just like it says here, 
The testing of your faith develops perseverance. I believe that is, in such a short statement, I believe that is the, the connection between how testing your faith develops that perseverance. Dad's a good God. Knowing the worth of the love of the Father for you creates such perseverance. So, looking at faith in the context of God's testing, proving his worth, the worth of his love and his wisdom and all that, causing us to trust him, builds perseverance. And now I want to just make a distinction on the work. Uh, The work is not to say we need to develop perseverance, uh, and that's an indication of our being incomplete in Christ. As I was reading through this, I was really struck by need to make a distinction between the completeness of Christ's work uh, at the moment we receive the Lord is, is, is final, we're, we're in, we've all in Christ. Um, but the maturing, as, as the uh, letter goes on, the perseverance finishes its work so that you may be mature and complete. You are complete in Christ, but it's a process by which you begin to understand the fullness of what you have. Because just like when you got into the car for the first time, I didn't know, you know. <laughs> you know, it's a simple analogy, but I think in, in thinking through this, I think that's an in, um, important distinction as not to create works-based uh, living out of a discussion on testing. The maturing process is not meant to be isolation therapy. And there's a counselor who would love to keep me in this place of isolation. And that is not God. The analogy I was thinking of as I was working through this is uh, in certain marriage ceremonies, I've seen this jar of sand where before the vows, there's two colors of sand. After the vows, the the jar gets shaken up and the sand mixes into this completely new thing. And even from a distance, the uh, the color of the sand is changed. Uh, And it's this picture of the two parts being one, um, but in testing, I feel like it was this awesome picture I had of like, wow, you, you, you call me through this, like the song we sang, you know, you come, call me out upon the waters, but the co-laboring, that you were never meant to be alone, you were never meant to co-labor with Christ in your own strength and on, on your own terms, like that is, that is what the enemy would want you to believe, but God is calling you to togetherness and persevering together and the beauty of that work is that is how wisdom manifests because wisdom requires a mirror you can't uh, I was thinking about this concept uh, at the time that uh, the letter was written the temple of Apollo at Delphi had 147 maxims written in stone on this temple. And one of them, we know it today probably fairly well, it's a famous one, is know thyself. And the enemy tries to separate us in this moment of crisis and say that you need to figure this out. 
But when he asks, he must believe and not doubt. Who's the one who would like to incite doubt in you? It's not God. So talk to him. Say, Father, what are you trying to do here? What? Or if you're falling into unbelief, Daddy, my mind has led me astray. Please show me the way out because I know that you're a good God and I know this is not the cul-de-sac of woe, <laughs> W-O-E, that you're leading me into. <laughs> or maybe it is like a W-O-A-H. <laughs> anyway, I love homonyms. So, yeah, point being, testing was never meant to be isolation therapy. So, so ask. So I was asking God, you know, what's an example of this process of testing? And when I had to engage in not knowing and having him fill me in, <laughs> <laughs> and it wasn't really fun. It's not it's not a very intense story, but when I was living in Severn uh, a little over a year and a half ago, I got this vision of uh, the Lord leading me on. And I said, okay, what, what do you want me to do about that? And I didn't get anything. We were at this prayer meeting, and John was still at uh, 1011 North Charles Street, his apartment, and is this epic moment, and it caught me off guard, and he had, John had no idea about this vision I just received, and he stands on this chair, and he says, Mike, wouldn't you want to live in this apartment? And at the time, I knew he was looking to buy a house, and there's just like all this stuff, and it's just the vision was on my mind, and he's just like, it was like the Lord standing on this chair saying, like, I am leading you on. How about it? You want to live in this apartment? I'm like, come on, God, this is fast. This is quick, and I'm not ready. And... You just answered my first question, so I guess maybe I live here, but I'd need a roommate. I'm like, yeah, yeah, I need a roommate. So do talk to me on that one, God. And so we were talking about that. Me and John, it's like, yeah, we'll, we'll pray about that. And and on the way out to the car to, to even even think about that, some random stranger, or it could have been an angel for all I know, he hands hands me my favorite my favorite dessert ever is a Klondike bar. Because I love polar bears. And he, <laughs> he has his Klondike bar. Like, hey, dude, you want a Klondike bar? And I'm like, yeah. I guess the appropriate answer is yeah. Has it been open? No. Okay, great. Why don't you, why wouldn't, I don't know. So it just hit me. And uh, John's like, I think you're being invited to the neighborhood. And it's like, and, um, but you know, my heart is just like wrestling. It's like, come on, God. Like, I, I don't move at the speed of light. Like, slow down here. Although they say if you move at the speed of light, time stops. But anyway, I was, I was like, ugh. And so I get home, and John calls me, and he says, hey, I just got an email from a pastor friend of mine. He's looking to connect a friend of his with a Christian brother up here. He's moving, and I think I just found your roommate. In 20 minutes, God gave me a vision, gave me a Klondike bar, found provision for me in housing, and a roommate. The next week, I was talking with my boss and I was talking about this um, you know this process and 
I'm sorry, it wasn't the next week, but but later on down the road, what I didn't realize is there was an internship that came up, and and just just story after story of of God leading me, and this internship came up, and then they said, you know, we can't we can't change your employment status, but wait, no, just kidding, we can. It's PRN, you're fine. So I don't know if that speaks to you, but just like this moment of I don't know, God, what do you know? Yeah, you're right. You know what you're doing. I'll keep going. Like this 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 process, and another picture I had was just this canoe going down this river and the rip, the ripples become rapids and the rapids become waterfalls and every every moment of crisis God just lifts it up and just places it down on the next level and you keep riding the river so he's good isn't he so proving the worth letting us partake in divine relationship <clears throat> a nature formerly unnatural becoming natural Growing us in perseverance. Definition of perseverance is steadfastness in doing something despite difficulty or delay in achieving success. We define success in a lot of ways, and most of them aren't healthy. And so I was asking, so you're leading me in this river, what's the point? And what is the... uh, Sorry, guys, it's really real for me right now. <laughs> What's the reward of testing? The reward of testing, what he says, perseverance must finish its work so you be complete and mature, lacking nothing. It sounds pretty awesome, and I think of all the times I've just traded things for my viewpoint, my expectations on what... It is that I'm going for, and when they don't work out, it's the end of the world. <laughs> but the truth is that it says later, we'll jump ahead, but blessed is the man who perseveres under trial, because when he has stood the test, he will receive the crown of life that God has promised to those who love him. We already have it. We've already had, we've been given it all. Um. <clears throat> The reward of maturity is a fuller understanding of our faith. So that we're not lacking anything. What what is maturity and what is completeness? I I got a little nerdy on this one and really grateful to Amanda. She helped me on this one. Uh looking at word study alone. Uh, translations of this verse vary in their use of words like mature and complete or perfect and complete. The Greek here for complete or perfect is from the word teleoi or teleoi. If you want the spelling on that, it's T-E-L-E-I-O-I. Or also, uh, there's a lot of variations here, but uh, teleos from the word teleos. It's an adjective to describe Full stature, ripeness in Christ in the context of process. And the root here is really cool. The root, T-E-L, means reaching the end goal. And pictorially, you have this great picture of the telescope, the telescope. And each section, you picture the old telescope, is like not ready. Pull it a little more, not ready. Pull it a little more, it's it's fully extended. It's ready for use. And it's just like the way that God 
extends us, he telescopes us in this process so that we find that within all the grace gifts that are under the umbrella of the fullness in Christ that we rise complete in each one in our completeness under him. The word that rounds this out is uh, holokleros. Is that word for complete, or or whole, rather, it's actually uh, wholeness. So the the wholeness being greater than the sum of our parts, but each part being whole itself. So this is really cool. Um, and I'm just nerding out on that, but here's the thing: like in verse twelve, recapping the fullness of what that means and how to operate under the headship of Jesus is revealed through testing. That's kind of all that means. And we got all that from two words. So the reward, again, is greater knowledge of the worth of the gospel, but also knowledge of wisdom of what we already had but didn't yet have access to. And that's what maturity is all about. So basically you get basically get to look and act more like Jesus which I am uh hoping we're all excited about that. Uh the the aspect coming back to this word joy uh the aspect of our faith that is tied to joy is an interesting one and in light of testing I was starting to ask this question, what is joy? joy? Like, how do you define joy? And you have happiness, and you have joy, and we have this song that's on the radio uh, I don't really care for, but it's, you know, happiness, blah, 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 blah. But <laughs> I can't even sing it. I put it out of my mind. But um, I, uh, in, I didn't think about this very long, but I was just like, Lord, this is worth thinking about. Um, in the context of this passage, I would like to offer you my definition of what this joy is. This joy is the unmovable knowledge of your identity in Christ, having no anchor in feelings or earthly time, but grounded in the truth of his goodness. I think there's two things that really undermine my stability in Christ that is, uh, and that is time, when the the enemy says it should have happened by now, and feelings. And the gospel is not built on time, it's a timeless gospel, and it's not built on feelings. C.S. Lewis wrote about this uh, in a brief excerpt in his book, Surprised by Joy, It's not from James, I realized, but I felt like it was worth reading. Um, You cannot hope and also think about hoping at the same moment. For in hope, we look to hope's object, and we interrupt this by, so to speak, turning around to look at the hope itself. This discovery flashed a new light back on my whole life, and I saw that all my waiting and watchings for joy, all my vain hopes, to find some mental content on which I could, so to speak, lay a finger and say, this is it, had been a futile attempt to contemplate 
the enjoyed experience. Inexorably joy proclaimed, as if you could give joy itself a voice, joy proclaimed, you want, I myself am your want of something other outside, not you nor any state of you. What he's saying basically, the joy has an object, and the object of that joy is Jesus. And all testing and trials hinge on this very simple question, is God really good enough to be worth holding on to this, Jesus, in the midst of what I'm going through? I was thinking of the song we sang, This, uh, Derek sang, uh, the line f- struck struck me, um, for all your goodness, I will keep on singing. For all your goodness, I will keep on singing. So coming back to this question we put forth in the beginning, what is the call of wisdom in response to testing in light of all this? It's rejoice. It's rejoice. For all your goodness, I will keep on singing because he's found you worthy <laughs> to be tested because you're worthy of him, because you're looking more like Jesus, and because you have a seat at the table. And at the end of this life, I don't know what it'll look like, but it's not going to look like what I'm going through. And even if I had an inkling of what I think it's all leading to, it's, it, I don't have a clue. But he is leading me into something that my spirit just rises up in me, and it just says rejoice. And we get real hung up on questions about God's sovereignty. And we get real hung up on trials and figuring out if he's good or not. And I know I'm not trying to be, <laughs> I'm not trying to be a, have a, a sadistic gospel here. There is real pain in trial and I'm not ignoring that. But I am saying that you have to look at him. You have to look at him. He, going back to the garden till now, was always, am I good enough for you? You have the whole creation I've made for you and here's one tree and is it good enough for you that you would be okay with just saying no to this one thing in context of everything I've given you and it's the same question and I just want to call us back to this simple place of rejoicing because he is worth it all for all his goodness I will keep on singing and I don't know what you're going through but I promise you He's carrying you through it. And I promise you it's going to be worth it. I promise you it is worth it. So I just want to take the time and ask the Lord to come and manifest that good word to you right now. Father, I thank you that for all of our words and all of our searching and all of our defining, that (laughs) your Holy Spirit just comes and does the work. And I ask right now, Father, that in the midst of whatever any of us are going through right now, God, that you would just, by your Holy Spirit, I release you, Jesus, to do your work. I ask you, Father. By releasing you, I mean I ask you, Father. I invite you to have your way in me. Just like later in James 1, he also exhorts us to humble yourselves, therefore, So, Lord, I just thank you for the joy. Joy that is not 
objectless. And joy that is grounded in the person and the relationship and the abiding, abiding co-laboring with your son, Jesus. My father, who loves me, loves me, loves me. Amen.